hop over to Genesis. We'll continue in Genesis this morning. Um, do want to start off, uh, you know, on a somber note. You know, we've uh, we just want to say a prayer this morning. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like maybe what I should do is just instead of preach, just have some time for all of us to pray. And I think we'll have some services like that more often in the fall, um, just to really for all of us really to to engage in prayer together. But I think especially this week is. Um, some of you already know in the last 24 hours there have been two shootings. Um, in the last week there's been three. One in El Paso yesterday and then in Dayton, Ohio this morning. Um, and so I think it's uh, we're grateful for the first responders. Apparently it could have been much worse. So praise God for those that, that boldly stepped in to, to help. But I think in, in, in times like this it's good just to say a prayer um, uh, for our world at this time. So let's go ahead and um, bow our heads. Uh, dear Father God, thank you for today. We're grateful to be together, uh, God, but we... We know, God, that it's a very scary time, God, that every, every, every era in history, God, has had violence, God, has had, had people um, hurt other people. But, God, I pray we can, we can not just be like Jesus and love others, God, but we can, um, we can bring a love to this world, God, that really needs to see a love, uh, God. And not just any, any kind of normal, basic kindness, God, but a really supernatural, otherworldly love that shakes people, God, out of their hopelessness, out of their, their fear, God. And, and I pray for those, God, who've who've engaged in the acts of violence, God, to, God, just please, God, forgive them. Um, God, I know as, as heinous as their actions were, God, I pray for forgiveness for them in some way. For I know that one has one is, is died, the other, is, the other shooter is still alive. God, I pray for some way in prison, God, for them to even be able to find you or that you work good at the situation. God, we pray for the families of the victims. God, as hard as all this is and just so scary, as, as scary as it is, God, we just pray that you can be with those families now. And God, please be with our world. Please be with our leaders. God, as you guide them and, and, they go, and they govern, God, we pray that, that your providence, God, can oversee all of this, even, even as nasty and dark as it, it can get sometimes. So we love you. God, we pray that in your son's name. Amen. Um, another reason you might feel this morning like it's just a little um, darker and sadder is that Jenny's not here. And it is a little darker. It is a little sadder. Um, but uh, she's an in- empty seat. She'd be right there. Um, but uh, she's at a wedding, which I have to preach quickly to get to, so enough of the, um, the, the jib-jab. Um, but uh, just me today, so um, half of what I could be, because she's just awesome. Um, I haven't started the recording yet, so I probably should start the recording so she can hear all this um, to encourage her. Uh, I was saying something earlier about missing her, and, and I think it was Andrew or somebody who was saying, make sure you tell her. So i got to make sure I tell her to her face, right, um, how much, how much she, she means to me. Uh, Genesis 29 will start, and I'm going to start the recording now. Okay. Uh, Genesis 29. Um, for this past Wednesday, we got a chance to do some impromptu house church. We got a chance to look at, um, at this story at the very end of Genesis 28. I'm going to mention it a little bit because it does have bearing on our text um, this morning. Also, what bear, has bearing on our text this morning is that it's Rashawn Smith's birthday today. Come on. Um, so, Rashawn, right? Is he here? He's not here. Oh, man. Where'd he go? He's, he's somewhere. Um, I was going to ask him if he also knows that it's, it's his same birthday as uh, Obama. Does he know that? Is he, is he aware of that? You think he's aware of that? It just seems important. I don't know, you know. So. But um, happy birthday to Rashawn Smith. Um, make sure you tell Rashawn um, happy birthday to our brother there. Um, but just like Rashawn, who is embarking on a new year and kind of like unsure of what's going to happen, so was Jacob. Jacob was also, see how I did that? Jacob also was leaving home for the first time. And he was uh, very scared. 
Uh, a lot of you guys got this lesson in some way uh, at House Church last Wednesday. The title of my lesson today is God Will Attend. And um, Jacob, uh, remember the last thing he does in Genesis 28 is that um, sort of famous story. Um, actually, 27 is the long story where he steals his brother's uh, uh, blessing. Earlier, he steals his birthright. <coughs> and um, Jacob lies to his father's face at the behest of his mother. And then he, his mom says, you've got to run away because your brother is going to kill you. And we see just in the book of Genesis, not only... Um, is God working uh, to protect people? We also see a streak of violence in Genesis. Cain kills his brother Abel, and now Esau wants to kill his brother. And so we see our world has always been wrought with violence. And here in Genesis, it's no different. So Jacob runs away. But Jacob's been raised in a household where he's kind of a mama's boy. And Rebecca, for most of his life until now, has told him exactly what to do. And like maybe any overparented child who leaves the house for the first time, uh, they have to realize, wow, I've got to make my own decisions here. And so Jacob, real, he was out in the, in the wild in the end of 28. He, um, he has this dream. And he can't even find a place to stay. He's out by himself, and he has this dream. And uh, the dream is, this is actually a woodcutting from about 500 years ago. It's pretty cool. You can't see it super well. I'll zoom in. At least you can see Jacob here at the bottom. He's sleeping, and there's a stairway to heaven, right? We have a couple of rock songs based on this idea. Um, there's a stairway to heaven or a ladder to heaven with these angels that are going back and forth with God up, at, up in the clouds. And so he has this vision. The angels are going back and forth in the vision uh, there at the end of 28. And then God says, uh, your descendants in verse 14 will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and the east to the north and the south, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. And then later at the end of the verse, which is funny, is, is Jacob's very encouraged by this vision. And then he says in verse 20 of chapter 28, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will give me, uh, will, will, will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my, my God. Um, and so it's interesting. So Jacob has this vision of God, his vision of the stairway to heaven, and then he, he has his confidence, but then he says, all right, God, if you give me these things, then, then I'll be okay. This is where we'll pick up in chapter 29, verse 1. <coughs> uh, verse 1. Then Jacob continued on his journey. I wish that if you have a literal translation in the Hebrew, it says, then Jacob picked up his feet. Um, it's this idea of like, I picture him like walking, like whistling, you know, like, you know, he's just like kind of like very happy. He's, it's this very jovial young man. Like he's different. He's not scared anymore. Jacob picked up his feet and now he's walking to Padam Aram. So what changed? Obviously, this interaction with God gave him some confidence. So he picks up his feet, he's on his journey, and he comes to, that, to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well. Every time we see a well so far, what should we be thinking? It's about to get romantic in this piece. Um, every time we see a well, it's like a boy's about to meet a girl, okay? Remember how we found Rebecca? Through the well, okay? Wells are going to be a big meeting place for, for men and women. Kind of like they are today. Um, so they went to a well. I remember Rebecca said, go find a wife, son. All right, he's on, he's on a mission. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it. And because 
And, uh, because the flocks were watered from that well, the stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high and it is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and then take them to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came up with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, um, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. And Laban said, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. <coughs> now, we're not going to read the whole passage. We're going to kind of dip our toe in it and then finish next week. But basically, Jacob realizes, okay, yeah, I will work for you. But just like, unlike last time, where Abraham's servant showed up to Laban and had all this money, he had the camels, right, and he had the, the jewelry, all this money, he was to, to kind of pay uh, for Rebekah, basically, give her a dowry. Um, uh, Jacob's got nothing. Jacob doesn't have two pennies to rub together, right? He's, he's got nothing. So Laban, also kind of a crafty man, realizes, all right, you haven't got any money, young man. Um, and maybe he's realized, perhaps, that um, Jacob is taken with Rachel. So he says, all right, how about seven years of work? And then I'll give you my daughter. And we'll talk more about that next week. So uh, Jacob begins to work seven years in exchange to, to marry Rachel. But this is an interesting section with Jacob and the well. Um, and what's going on here? So he gets to the well. Um, he's got a newfound confidence at the well. Um, he kind of walks up, right? He's this young whippersnapper. And these guys, um, and I read this, I think about like, trying to like share your faith with somebody who's just not really that kind. <laughs> Jacob's like, so, where are you from? And they're like, Haran. And he's like, so, what are you doing here? We're going to water the sheep. So why don't you move the stone? It's a big stone, man. Like, it, it takes a lot of us to move it. Okay, we've got to wait for more people, and we can move the stone, and then we can water the sheep. You know Laban? <sighs> who is this guy? You know, they're just kind of like, yes, we know Laban. Can you please go away? Or who are you? But Jacob's just kind of like, He's just kind of there, and he's peppy, and he's excited. And Jacob's looking at this big stone. He goes, why don't you just move it? And they're like, it, it, it takes a lot of us. And then you see what happens next. He sees Rachel. He's like, I got this. So he, takes, he rolls his sleeves up, and he moves that stone. He moves it. And then he gives Rachel a hug, and he cries, and he weeps. And it doesn't seem to be, and obviously, later on, he, he has this attraction to Rachel. But in, this, in the very first part, it doesn't seem like he's crying because of, like, of Rachel. He's, he's happy because she's uh, Laban's family. 
And Laban, if you remember, is Rebecca's family. So it's his mom, whom he was very close to. Um, I mean, his relationship with his mom was very tight. And we don't actually won't ever hear from Rebecca again for the rest of the book. And now Jacob's off on his own, and he meets mom's family. And so he gives, gives her a hug. And, and he, in that moment, he realizes, okay, I'm provided for, which is really what the word providence means, to provide. Providence to provide, right? And today we're talking about God's providence. And Jacob has a moment where he realizes God, God did what he said he was going to do. Um, I left the land. It was very, I mean, it's dangerous. Not only is my brother trying to kill me, but when you're out back then, especially alone with no money, you got nothing. I mean, robbers, I mean, you could easily be killed. But he finds he's led to this well, which is Laban's family. He's taken care of. And I began to think about providence, and I began to think about us and how we think of God's providence today. <coughs> Forgive my cough, tickle, throat thing. Um, but I began to think about providence today. And I began to think about this dream. And what is it that occurs in the dream? You know, God doesn't really say very much, does he? Um, and I think sometimes we can think God's providence isn't exactly what it really is. But he sees the angels going back and forth. The idea is that God is basically saying, hey, Jacob, I know you're alone. I know you're scared. But look, I've got angels coming back and forth. They're obviously on missions. They're on dispatch here. They're, 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 I'm, I'm working in history. And a lot of people today can think about uh, choices and, and the impact of our choices. And some people think, well, it's all just predetermined. You can't, anything you do, it's already set. God, predestination, right? God's just, now our choices don't really matter. It's all fixed. And then some people say, well, no, 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 especially in our culture, like we love this idea of like, no, you are what what's your, you, your future is what you make it, right? Like you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Like that's very much our American culture, which is basically saying our choices matter quite a bit. Now, which is it? Now, God, I think, through this vision is saying the answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's both fixed and you do have choice. But God's providence here, the word providence is not actually in the Bible, but it's the idea of providence is in the Bible. It just comes from the Latin providentia, which means to foresee or attend to. That God will attend to it. God will provide, if that makes sense. Um, it's the protective care of God uh, or, or of nature as a spiritual power, right? That, that we trust to providence. We trust that somebody outside of us is going to take care of things. But I think most often what happens with God's providence with us is the same as it happened with Jacob. If I ask most people, like, what is God's providence to you? Usually people say, well, that means God's going to take care of me. Right? That's how most of us would say it. Like, God will give me a, a wife. God will give me a husband. God will give me financial security. God will give me this job. God will take care of this, my sickness. And that's not incorrect. God, God does want to take care of it. He knows the hairs on our heads. He does want to take care of us. But I think what's, what's, what's interesting about God's providence here is that um, sometimes we can, we can think if, if God's providence is just that he's going to take care of us, I think we're going to go down the wrong path of how we're really supposed to live as Christians. I think we're going to miss a really big part of what it means for God to really attend and to take care of his people. So what is it? So sometimes you ever heard people say things like, um, just obey and God will take care of the rest. Um, obedience is really important. But if you notice, God does not in this dream give Jacob any instructions. God doesn't tell him what to do. 
God doesn't say, just go here. Laban will be there. Talk to Laban. He's going to have two daughters. And I, wanna, I want you to avoid a rather sticky situation with those two daughters. Um, anyway, uh, but I want you to just go after one, pursue one. Don't get married to both. Watch out for Laban. He's kind of a trickster. God doesn't really tell Jacob anything. And the reality is, is that God doesn't really tell us that much either. And we have to figure out what does God want for us to do in the area that we're not sure of what is his direct command. Now, I love Jacob because he sees God's providence. So what does he do? He does what we do. God's, he sees the angels going up on the ladder. And then Jacob comes out at the end of 28. And then what does he say? All right, God, if you give me food and clothing, then I will follow you. Hold on. Reverse. Like God just showed you he's in charge. He's going to take care of you. He's sending He's got you. But Jacob still feels the need to add stipulations to this arrangement, this relationship. And that's us, right? Like God's like, I got you. We're like, okay, yeah, yeah. But can you also take care of my food and shelter? Can you make sure you give me these things I want? And it reminds me of the passage in Matthew 6, where people in Matthew, 1,500 years later with Jesus, are concerned about the exact same thing. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not worry about your life or what you'll eat or drink. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So the people 1,500 years later from Jacob to Jesus, like Jacob and these people are concerned about the exact same thing. But are you going to take care of me? Am I going to be okay? And especially in our country, we can be really concerned about are we going to be taken care of? Even the first step you take into this church is, am I going to be taken care of today? Are the songs going to be the songs I like? Is the sermon going to really be what kind of sermon I like? Like 10% humor. You know, I would like a really kind of topical anecdote at some point. Um, but he better not mention this. Um, but the people better be friendly to me. And I'm even going to be a little standoffish. And if they're not friendly, then mm, this church is not friendly. You walk in here a consumer. You walk in here, God better deliver. Or else I'm not going to deliver to him. I'm not going to. And I think deep down, it's really, we, 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 we kind of have... We've babied ourselves for too long. And I think as a church, I want to encourage all of us, we have to grow up. Yeah. Got to mature, right? And we have, our decisions matter. Our decisions every day matter. But if God was just some God who wanted us all to just be robots, he would just say, here's everything you have to do. Just obey it all the time. But if you read the New Testament, there's commands, there's not always commands. There's a lot of things he kind of leaves up to you. Now, I do want to take a, a small moment on obeying direct commands. Because I think a lot of us honestly don't do this. And it should be. You talk about the, there's, there's scripture that's called milk that babies need. And you need the milk. There's also milk. Uh, uh, scripture is milk. But there's also scripture is meat. Uh, that that scripture is a little. Well, it takes a little longer to digest. Okay. But direct commands is milk. And for these ones, we, we cannot understate how important obeying direct commands are. We can't gloss over them. Now, I'm, doing a, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because I'm going to assume that we all agree with me. But if you're like, I don't want to obey direct, I don't, I don't want to forgive. No, forgive as I've forgiven you. Like, do not marry a non-Christian. Like, there's very specific commands. Like, okay, but most of us, I think, are on board with the direct commands. They're very clear, Right? 
Um, one of the reasons that like some things, people will come to me a lot and ask for, for guidance in different things. And sometimes it's very clear, like here's a verse that says what to do. Sometimes it's not as clear. And I think there people are like, but I want guidance. What they're saying is I want, I want peace and then I can make the decision. Jacob's like, God, take care of my food and clothing and then I will follow you. What, what Jacob's really saying is, I want to know I'm going to be okay and then I will follow you. I will not follow you until I have some guarantees that I will be okay. And be okay really just means I will be at peace, right? I will have security. Because we don't want to fear. We don't want to be afraid of things. Right. And too often, we're, we're, our decision-making um, is driven by fear. And we make decisions out of fear that we will not be okay. We will not be at peace unless I do this thing. Unless I pursue this person who's a non-Christian, I won't have peace in marriage. So let me just do this. And then I will have peace. Um, I, but I need this. I need this job that pays more. I need this friend. I need this time to myself. Um, but besides the direct commands, God leaves a lot open. And the next is <coughs> learning how to make <coughs> wise decisions. Now, that's the meat. Okay. Sometimes people will come to me and ask. Sometimes people just tell me what they're doing. But sometimes people will ask me. They'll say, like, what do you think about this idea, about me doing this or doing that? Or, and a lot of times, my encouragement to them is make a decision. Yes, Proverbs talks a lot about making wise decisions. Have a lot of advisors, get a lot of advice, but it's just advice. You don't have to do all of it, but be humble for sure. But at the end of the day, you must make a decision. Any one of us who has a five-year-old or a four-year-old and that four-year-old says, Daddy, can I go outside and play with my friends? We'd say, sure, buddy, go outside. If that four-year-old at college calls you, says, hey, Daddy, some of the guys in the dorm are playing basketball outside. Can I go outside? He'd be like, why are you? Yeah, do whatever you want. Like, I don't know, you're, you're 22 years old. Like, go outside. Like, there's something about, like, yes, when you're a baby Christian, drink the stinking milk, but we got to grow up someday. And God's like, I want you to grow up. There's no reason for God to leave things open unless he wants you to mature. And the only way to mature is to make and own your own faithful decisions. Go for it. I don't know, should I do this or should I do that? Or we can give, we can give advice, but make that decision. God wants you to. If it's not violating a direct command in the Bible, do it. Go for it. And I think too often in the church, this wise becomes a synonym for safe. Like making a safe decision. Like, for example, let's say we're planting a region in Harrisonburg next summer. And I do, that's a real thing. But I, some of you, I think a lot of people can, can think, oh, I don't know if we, if, and I think a lot of us need to consider moving to that region planting, by the way, to support it. But sometimes we can think like this. Well, if I move, I'll have to find a new job. If I move, well, I have less, I'll have less friends. If I move, it'll be harder. Mm, I should be wise and stay where it's easy and safe and my needs are met. Right? That sounds very normal. I hope you were scared by that a little bit at some point. Like Jacob is told to go. God doesn't say, I really want Jacob to not struggle. So let me baby him and protect him and walk him through every minu- all the minutiae of these decisions. No, Jacob, um, you're going to go to Padam Aram. 
the people out there might kill you, right? It's kind of like, this is what Jacob's feeling, but God says, I got you. I'm with you. God's providence is not, I'm going to meet all your needs or your wants. God's providence is, I'm with you. And he says that. And he says, and even in the Hebrew, it's a little vague because in the Hebrew, it's not just I am with you. The verb, there's no um, to be verbs in Hebrew. So I, I am happy. You just say I happy in Hebrew. Um, so there's no, there's no to be verbs. So uh, I am with you is just I with you. But basically what that means is I'm with you now. I also will be with you in the future. I with you. I am always with you. I, it's not just now. It's, it's past, present, future. And so God's trying to help Jacob understand, go make your own choices, but I'm with you. I got you. And there's something powerful about that. Now, I think when we think about God's providence, we can think of that that song we sing when we're kids. Got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. What's the next line? Oh, yeah. Got the whole world in his hands. What's the last last line? And can't go through that door. That's a different song. Um, (laughs) It's all blurred. I got to go serve in children's ministry and, and, and hone those senses. Um, we can think. We can think. Oh, God's got the whole world in His hands. You know what that means? I can make any decision I want, and I'll be okay. I can make this deci- this awful choice to shoot a nude photo of myself to this girl, and God will forgive me because God is good and gracious. And you know what? I can just make this decision to move or isolate myself or make this decision to lose my temper with my kid and cuss him out, it will be fine. God forgives. But God does have the whole world in his hands, but he also wants you to grow up. And maturity only happens if you let your child go. You have to let your child experience things. And I know that even in, in the Christi- Christianity across the world, there's a I know that as we Christians can feel, and I feel this too, as you look out in the world, you can be very afraid. Yeah. Especially for our kids. We can think, I don't want my kid to experience or, or see that or hear that. And I get that. But I think we've got to let our kids experience some things. Because the only way our kids are going to grow up is if they can experience and see this, wow, and they can have their own radical relationship with God. And they'll see God work instead of you just babying them. And we all need that. Now, I'm not telling, I mean, I think we can get like a lot of arguments on, well, should I do this? Should I do that? I don't know. Are you saying I should homeschool or not homeschool? I don't know. Make a decision. Either way, make a decision in faith. Make a grown up, mature, meet decision. It'll be okay. God's with you. But if we're making a decision out of fear, too often, God's providence becomes, God will take care of me. God will take care of me. God will give me what I need. God will give me what I want. God will give me these things. He'll give me food. He'll give me shelter. He'll give me food. He'll give me shelter. He'll give me food. But guess what? If you read the New Testament, people become disciples, and they almost never get food or shelter. Like, what do they get in the New Testament most of the times? Like, oh, if you follow God, it'll get easier. It'll get better. It'll be, you'll have a church that all your needs are met. No! It gets harder. It gets more difficult. So if your faith is based on your luxury and your needs, you're not going to make it. You're going to be like, it's be like giving a baby, like, like a, you give a baby. So like, I imagine some of have some cute kids in the church, but imagine like taking one of those children. It's cute. And, you know, I think of like Christian Schaefer, like he's a Christian's very capable a young man. Like he's, he knows what he's doing. But, but Will would now, you, it's like saying, good luck out there, buddy. 
Like, right? Like, to go out there and like, sometimes we need that. We need, don't forget the obedience, right? We need that obedience. We need the milk. But at some point, we've got to grow up. And it's, it's okay to fail. What's Jacob going to do? It's the first thing he does. We're going to talk about it next time. But he's like, I'm going to pursue this girl. I'm going to work. I'm going to, Jacob's going to make a lot of mistakes. But God wants him to know that he's with him. And I think the struggle for all of us in this is that deep down, we just want to be taken care of. We do. And I know that. And I feel that. We want to, we do fear. And I have financial fears personally. I can feel like, man, if, what if this doesn't work out? Or what if that? And I can become afraid and then adjust my choices because of, of, of fear of financial security or fear of like my wife. Is my wife going to be okay? If I, like, am, I, am I being a good husband if I don't do these things? I've got to protect my wife. I've got to protect. And I can see it even as in fathers. I can imagine. I've got to protect my kids. I've got to protect. And we get in this protect mode. And then we don't live as radical Christians that actually go do stuff. We just protect for 50 years. We forget the poor. We forget the lost. We forget the truth we've been given. And we just protect. And Jesus says those who try to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for me will save it. And I know it's tough and I know it's difficult. But Jesus is saying, I want to give you food and shelter. That will be okay. But seek first my kingdom. Seek it first. And not just my kingdom, my righteousness. We don't have time. That's a whole other lesson. Sometimes we forget that it's seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, which is like, oh, my righteousness too. Oh, man, that's crazy. But that's, that's what Jesus says. And I think deep down inside all of us, if I can put it in a picture. Remember in Mark 4 when Jesus is sleeping in the boat and it's a storm and his disciples are freaking out and, and Jesus is asleep, right? And they say something. I love it. I think this is how we feel. The apostles say, Lord, don't you even care if we die? And I think in that moment of going through something really difficult and fear, like, like they're so afraid that it just comes out, Jesus, do you really even care about us and if we die? And I think we feel the same thing. God, this is hard. This is difficult. Do you even really care about me? And we, we don't trust that Jesus cares about us. You know the irony of this? What do you think Jesus felt when he heard that? Don't you care if we die? Jesus is feeling, well, I, I do, but I know you're not going to care when I die. You know, and just imagine them saying that with such confidence. Like, don't you even care about us, Jesus? And he's, he doesn't say it. He calms the wind. He says, but you got to imagine him feeling something, right? Like, do you know what? What I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to die. And, and it would be easy for him to, to just throw it back in their face. But he doesn't. And I think the beautiful thing is that deep down we want security and peace. We want to say, God, give me peace. Then I'll make this faithful decision. Give me peace in, in finances. Give me security that all my three kids or five kids will become disciples. Give me security that my marriage is perfect. Give me security that we have all these things. Then we'll go out on faith. Then I'll start a Bible talk at my work. Then we'll move to Harrisonburg and help the church. Then, we'll, uh, then I'll talk to my neighbor about uh, uh, his marriage. Then I'll talk to him. You know, and we want peace before we make a decision. Can you imagine if Jesus did that? Jesus was like, God, I want to know. Jesus gets the opposite. He's guaranteed you won't. Instead of God saying, I'm with you always, Jesus, God says, 
I will not be with you. And the only thing Jesus yells on the cross is, my God, my God, why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? We all don't want to be alone. We all don't want to be rejected. We all want to have somebody there with us. That's why the words, I'm with you, are so powerful from God. I'm with you. But Jesus decides to be abandoned, to go through the worst storm alone. And he does it for you. And on top of all that, think about what God does when, God has, when Jacob has the dream. What did Jacob just finish doing? Sinning. He lied. He didn't just lie. He blasphemed. He said, when, when Isaac says, how'd you finish the hunt so quickly, my son? Jacob goes, oh, God bless the, uh, the mission. Jacob didn't go on a hunt. He's wearing the wool. He's, it's, all, it's this elaborate lie, deceit, stealing. I mean, it's awful stuff. God says, I'm with you. Despite our sin, despite what we've done to reject and abandon Jesus every day, when we choose not to share faith because we're fearful, when we choose not to have a quiet time because we're fearful if we don't get enough sleep, we won't make it. When we choose to abandon Christ, he does not treat us like we treated him. And that is an encouraging thing. He doesn't abandon us. Jesus says, that's all right. I got you. I'm with you. Even in our failures, Christ is with us. Even when you mess up and we want to go right, like John said, right to the guilt trip, right to the man, I blew it. Jesus goes, it's okay. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll get him back. I'm with you. I know the quiet time didn't go well, but let's try again tomorrow. I know you tried to reach out to your boss and that was scary and it, and it was bumpy, but I'm proud of you. Add a girl, add a boy. We're going to do this together. The providence of God is I am with you. Think about the Christians in the New Testament, right? Think about their response. How about Acts 5, when the apostles are called before the Sanhedrin and flogged? They're whipped, right? Then they ordered them not to speak the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin, and they were crying, and they were ashamed, because they realized if we got flogged, we must have messed up, because we didn't get our needs met. No, they rejoiced. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. When we as a church truly meet maturity, you know how we'll know? We will rejoice in suffering. That's when people go, that, that person's different because all this bad stuff just happened to them and they are rejoicing. They are okay amidst suffering. That's incredible that Jesus gives us like, I'm not going to give you this perfect little life so you can have, no, Jesus knows that's a lie. Jesus knows that nothing in life will ever give you peace. So he says, you know what will we'll give you peace is I'm never leaving you. And no matter what comes at you, I am with you. Yeah. So if you're flogged, if you're abandoned, if, you get, if your husband leaves you, if somebody passes away in your family, if your boss fires you for evangelizing, uh, and that's inappropriate because you should keep it to yourself. If any of that stuff happens, you can rejoice and get a new job. or get, It'll be okay. Those things are not what give you peace. And that is what's so encouraging about Christ. No matter what happens, you will be okay. You know, I think about um, Philippians 1. Paul writes from prison, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Can you imagine getting to a place where we say, we're suffering and we go, usually something good happens, like... Um, and like we get a raise or, or like something, someone, someone's disease is taken away, right? And those are good things. But we share that as God's providence. God's, God's working. Can you imagine getting to a place where you suffer, you're in prison or something? And you go, man, God's providence. 
That's where Paul was. God's God's tender, caring hand is upon me as I'm in prison. (laughs) Hey, Paul, you sure? Because you're in prison. And he's like, no, no, God's got me. That's staggering. That's something that I want to have. And I'm convicted as I preach it. I'm like, I don't think I have that. I want to get there. I have a supernatural peace. I can't read all of it. One of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, you want to talk about suffering? I have 195 lashes on my back. Scars that you can see if you want from being punished for Christ. I have not gone, I've gone without food, clothing, shelter. I've been abandoned, shipwrecked, flogged, stoned. I have been, I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. Like, who are these people? I thought we'd come to church and we'd like the singing and we'd like the kids' ministry and our kids got their needs met. And we got all, it's a really nice church. You should come visit someday. It's a really pleasant church. And we, can, we all kind of get what we expect and get what we want. And then we can go home and do what we really want. We got a, and I think we've, we've bought into a, a fake, a, a fake church. Yeah. Is, is it really a church that ins- even that inspires us, but even inspires our kids? Sometimes we're clipping our kids, these teens, we need to let them have radical faith in God. Let them go to the mall and share their faith. Let them start a Bible talk at their campus or at their, uh, their high school. Let's let them go and do these incredible things. Sometimes we clip their wings because we want to be wise. We clip their wings, and then why in the world would they want to become Christians? We're just in protect defense mode for 80 years. But God wants us to grow up, and he knows if, even if you get flogged, it'll be okay. And I thought about this, that this is what Jesus promises. He says, listen, it's going to be okay because I'm with you. And we all know that when someone says I'm with you, it does mean something. But it matters a lot more when someone knows what you're going through. And Jesus knows exactly what we all are going through. Getting to a place where it doesn't matter how the church treats you, but it matters that you have Jesus. Getting to a place where whether your kids become disciples or not, that you have Jesus. Getting to a place whether you have money or not. Maybe you, on Facebook you keep seeing people take these lavish vacations and your vacation is just camping in the backyard. You know, you go, well, I, we, but hey, we have Jesus. Um, but maybe you see other people, you go, we can never afford those types of clothes. We can't afford college for our kid. We can't, we, can't, we can't have this life. It's okay. The greatest thing you can pass on to your kids is faith, not a trust fund, not a university. And as we leave today and as we, as we walk out, I, I, I want to, the last little bit of grace, I love this, in Matthew 28, <coughs> right? It's the famous passage that we all know. It says, uh, Matthew 28, that the, the apostles had arrived. And what does it say? It says, many were there, and some doubted. <laughs> like, they're with the resurrected Jesus. But some were still like, meh, not sure about this. And Jesus says, I can't believe you would doubt. No, no, no. What does he say? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It is not about our perfection. It is not about our guilt. It is that Jesus has decided with us, no matter what happens, if we decide... We decide to trust, to seek first that kingdom. Jesus is saying, I will surely be with you always to the very end of the age. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 1030 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.